Well, good evening. It's good to see you back tonight. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be eventually. Hebrews chapter 12. As you're finding your place, I just want to make a couple of comments that I don't think are required per se, but I think they're appropriate for me to make them. And the comment or the statement would be this, that I just want to thank you again for the time off that you gave us back in November. Uh, you do not know the blessing and just the help that that has been to me. And Susie and I had a wonderful time uh, while we were gone this past week. I was telling the men at breakfast this morning that uh, on this particular trip, I read over three books. And if you know how much I hate to read, uh, you would understand how significant that is. Uh, but I was able to read some books that were good for me and my spirit and my uh, just my overall walk. I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but uh, I just I felt impressed before we left that I was supposed to pack some books. And, and again, I never feel impressed to pack books. Uh, just why would I do that? It's just going to be heavy and just sit there. Uh, so in addition to my Bible reading uh, throughout the week, I was able to read and just have my batteries recharged. And that may not sound like much to you, and you may think, well, why do you need your batteries recharged? I'm just telling you, whenever you preach three times a week and you do a Sunday school lesson in addition to that, your brain does get tired. And uh, to just sit and do nothing and literally just watch waves roll in for four and a half days that was nice, and uh, just, I came back, I was ready to preach. I told Susie Thursday night, I said, this has been great, but if somebody said I had to do another week of it, I'd go crazy. Uh, it was just, it was that relaxing, and I want you to know, uh, church family, uh, I appreciate it more than you know. So thank you so much for agreeing to that. If you didn't agree to it and you're still bitter about it, get your heart right. I don't know what else to tell you because... Uh, it's been good, and, and, and it just, it's been a help to me. And I think most of you know this, but if it's a help to me, then eventually it, it becomes a help to you. And uh, if, if, if I'm mentally worn out, which you've all been there, I know that, so I'm not pretending that I've got some responsibility that you don't understand. But if I'm mentally worn out, it will be conveyed in the preaching, and then you will be the ones who also deal with that. So thank you, and I just want to make it very clear that uh, we appreciate it, and we had a good time, and that's that. That in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we are glad that we can be in your house tonight, and Lord, I am thankful that you've given us your word that we can look into and that we can be helped by. And God, I pray this evening that you would help me to communicate what you've laid upon my heart. God, that it would be that help to us that we need. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have in my notes, okay, right here it says, This evening I want to begin by acknowledging. Tonight's message will probably be shorter than usual. You know why it says that? Because I prepared this message on the Thursday before we left for vacation, so I wasn't really in study mode, okay? So this is going to be a message that is a bit shorter than normal, and it's not a real deep message by way of requiring us to think real hard, 
but I believe that this is a message that all of us can benefit from at some point in the future, maybe even some tonight. I want to begin by asking you a question this evening. The question is this. Is at some point in your life, has there ever been a moment, has there ever been an occasion where your path has crossed the path of someone else that you might say something like this? They're kind of dramatic. You ever met someone like that? You know, I mean, if you were just being honest, over the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, however many years God has given you, has there been at least one moment, at least one occasion in your life where you would say, you know, they're kind of the dramatic type. They're kind of excitable. We've all known at least one person like that, right? Some of you may be sitting there saying, uh, yeah, I'm sitting by them. Uh, they are the dramatic person in my life. Yes, we had one of those by way of a child. Yes, we're very familiar with the dramatic one. Uh, you know what it's like to be around a dramatic person. Just things tend to get big. Things tend to get exciting. Sometimes things tend to get a little bit uh, blown out of proportion. You know, it's just that's the way it works. They're just easily excited. And so it can go from just normal and calm to great, big, and exciting, really, with just the change of the direction of the wind or anything, right? So that being said, you know this to be true also, that there are people who would maybe identify themselves on the less dramatic side of life. You know, just kind of cool, calm, collected, and you know, it just doesn't take you a whole lot to get stirred up. And, and many times, here's what happens, is God uses the ones who would be, for lack of better words, less dramatic to sometimes keep the more dramatic people grounded to reality. Do you agree? Like you got this person over here and just, oh, it's big, it's terrible, it's awful, oh, it's whatever it is, you know, they're just... Everything's big and exciting, and you got the other person over here going, okay, settle down. It's not that big of a deal. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Have you ever been in a situation like this, or, or is it just me? And <laughs> you, You've been there, right? And some of you this evening, you may sit here, and you may have to be honest and say, Brother Kyle, I am that dramatic one. I don't mean to be, but goodness, I just I get excited and it gets it just starts flowing and 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 I'm the dramatic one and I'm the one who's just needing to be pulled back down to reality and told it's going to be okay. So we're all familiar with what I'm talking about this evening. We're all aware of it. I think the writer of Hebrews, okay, not knowing for sure who the writer is. I mean, it certainly sounds like the Apostle Paul. I, I, I'm not going to argue and debate, but I'm just saying the more I've gone through this, the more I just think, man, this sounds like the Apostle Paul, but if someone can prove me different, that, that's fine. But I'm just saying this. Whoever the writer was, I don't believe that he was the dramatic type. I believe the writer of Hebrews was the one who would kind of say, all right, come on, let's take it easy, let's relax for just a minute. And let's deal with reality and not maybe what we've conjured up in our minds. Now, why do I say that? Well, turn over, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
I know it's been a long time since we've been in chapter 10 because we spent so many weeks in chapter 11. But you may remember in chapter 10, the writer is writing to Jews who have left the Jewish faith so as to follow Christ in repentance, in salvation. And so what they have done is they have left the system of works for the system of grace by faith through Jesus Christ. You understand that, right? And, and so you also understand this if you remember from the, the series that we've been in that this was not an easy break to make and it was also not a break that would have been popular in their culture and in their day because for generations people had been following the law, they had been following the traditions, and, and they were doing things as had been prescribed, again, for, for many, many generations. And so you can understand when there were good, faithful, devout Jews who were still practicing the law, that were still going through the rituals, still going through the ceremonies, you can understand why it bothered them to see people break away from that and now start following this new idea, this new theology, or this new doctrine. You can understand that, right? I thought about it like this for myself. Susie and I are trying to train our children in the way we believe they're supposed to go. We're, we're doing that because we believe it's the right way. We believe it's the correct way. We believe it's the way that honors the Lord. And so I, I just know for myself that if at some point in the future, if one or more of the kids were to say something like this, hey, listen, Dad, listen, Mom, I appreciate what you tried to instill in us. I appreciate what you believe. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your devotion to it. But we're going to do something different I know without a doubt I would be crushed and I would be devastated. There's no question about that. It would destroy me if my children decided, you know what, I'm going to go a totally different direction in my life and not do the things that you raised me to do. And it's with that kind of mentality that I can better understand what some of these Jews were struggling with. Here we are. We've been serving together. We've been laboring together. We've been doing all these things together. Our families have been doing these things together. And all of a sudden, you're taking your family this new direction. What's wrong with you? And why are you doing such a thing? Can you understand just a little bit why there were struggles now? between the Jews who were holding on to the law and tradition and the Jews who had now placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it, it makes sense that there would be some friction and there would be some hardship and some, and some difficulties in those times. So it's because of all that that it says in verse number 32, But call to the remembrance, or think about these things, the former days in which after ye were illuminated, or you had your eyes open to the truth, Ye endured a great fight of affliction. So what is the writer reminding them of? He is reminding them of this, that you need to remember what it was like when you first got saved, when you first left the Judaism, when you first left the law, when you first left the traditions of, of man and, and everything that had been established for so many years. You need to remember that ye endured a great fight of affliction. Now, I don't think the audience really needed to be reminded of what they had endured. I think it was very fresh on their mind still. 
But you'll remember how in verse number 33, down through the next couple of verses, that the writer reminds them of their response to the affliction and how they welcomed it almost with a sense of excitement. And there was almost a sense of gratefulness that they could suffer these things. And yet the longer the affliction and the, and the hardship was upon them, what did the Jewish believers begin to toy with? They began to toy with the idea of going back and going back into the tradition, going back into the law. For what reason? Because it would have made life so much easier. Think about it. When life is hard, what do we normally try to do? We normally try to find a way to make our lives easier. Usually, we do not say, oh, this is hard, so therefore I'm having fun, let's keep it up. No, whenever life is hard and whenever life is difficult, we begin looking for ways to alleviate the difficulty, to somehow get us out from that hardship that we're under. And so as the writer is writing all this and reminding them of what it once was, knowing that the Jews are toying with the idea of just making life easier by going back to the law, going back to the tradition, getting back into the fellowship with the people who had made their lives tough, the writer said, now come on, that's not who we are. You remember this? This is not the kind of people we are. We're not quitters, so we're not going to go back just because of the affliction and just because of the hard times. So from there, verse number 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It is from there that he transitions into what we call Hebrews chapter 11. The men and women who were examples and testimonies of great faith. Right? So by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And the list just continues. By faith, these men and these women accomplished these things. I understand that we have gone over this in times past, but look in verse number 36. In giving them the stories and the scenarios of nameless saints, he said this, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. It says in verse number 38, They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And that is how many of the saints had lived in generations past as they followed God in faith. In verse number 38, he said again, or I want to remind us again, he said that of whom the world was not worthy. And as he has gone from all these wonderful testimonies and examples of faith, in chapter 12, verse number 1, he says, Now let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What was he doing? He was encouraging them and he was challenging them. Now come on, as Christians, we've got a race. And yes, it's an agonizing race, but we need to persevere in this race. So do you remember how all this has been flowing together if you've been a part of the series? Okay, listen, I know you've been dealing with affliction. I know you've been dealing with difficulties. The writer was not denying it, but he was saying this. Listen, there are many examples of men and women who in faith they dealt with and they they just struggled with so many other things. 
but they refuse to find that, that easy route to make their lives better or smoother. And so here's what we want to do. We want to run our race with some patience and with some perseverance. And here's what we do. We lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. We just do what makes sense. We get rid of the things that are weighing us down that are holding us back in our walk and in our relationship with the Lord. So in verses 2 and 3, what does he say? He said this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the, Father, uh, right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What did he tell them in verses 2 and 3? We looked at this two weeks ago. He said this, Listen, in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your hard times, fix your eyes and fix your focus on Jesus Christ. Stop looking at your problems. Stop giving your struggles all the attention. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to remind us, we still need to do that. In the midst of our hard times, in the midst of our difficulties, whatever it may be, in the midst of those days that are trying us, we need to not give our attention to the things that are a distraction to us, and we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the perfect example of obedience to the Father's will and a perfect example of faith in obedience to God's will. So you see how all this is working? Hey, I, I know you've been dealing with affliction as a result of your salvation. I know that you've not been the most popular among your friends and maybe families as a result of decisions you have made and commitments you have made. But remember these wonderful examples and testimonies of faith? Whether it be David, whether it be Samson, whether it be Sarah, whether it be Rahab, whoever it may be, remember them. And just persevere in your race and keep your eyes on Jesus. Now in all that, verse number 4. The writer says this, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What does it mean to be striving against sin? Well, it means this, to, to like be engaged in some kind of a conflict with that which would be sin or wrong or evil or wicked. And so here are believers and they're living in a, a sin-filled world just like what we're living in. They're living in a world that is full of problems and full of issues. And, and what are they doing? They're striving against the sin and they're engaged in this conflict and they're engaged in this battle. And it's a race and all the different ways in which the Christian life is described. And can you see what's happening here to an extent? It's almost as though the writer is sensing that there are some in the church or some in the audience who are believing and here's what they're doing. They're getting pretty excited about the affliction they've been dealing with. Oh, it's just so terrible. Well, well what's so terrible? Well, I'm telling you, my, my dad and mom, they just won't speak to me like they used to. I'm telling you, it's just different. Okay. 
Well, what's going on? Well, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm losing friends as a result of following Jesus Christ. I mean, the ones that we were once so close to, it's just terrible. And, and you know, they're saying bad things and they're accusing me of things. And, and they brought all these accusations against me that just are not true. And, and, and do you see where there's a sense of excitement building in the hearts and minds and lives of certain people in the church? You say, well, how do you see that? Because the writer just said this. Uh... You've not yet resisted unto blood. See how simple that statement is? You know, you're striving against sin. Good for you. You're trying to do right. Fantastic. Trying to take a stand. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and you've got people lying about you. I get it. Okay, now listen. The writer never said, this is an affliction. He never said, hey, this isn't a big deal. This isn't cause for concern. But what he did remind them of is this. is uh, Y'all have not yet shed blood. Should I take you back a few verses? Not me, but the writer could say, uh, do you remember that some were tortured, not accepting deliverance? Hello? Uh, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging. We just read this, remember? Uh, that's affliction. Uh, there were bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. You understand what that means, don't you? They were like literally cut in two because of their faith. And it wouldn't have been a quick thing. I mean, sawing. They didn't have power saws that had just dropped it down and got it over quickly. I mean, it would have been the going back and forth, the back and forth with the, 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 the teeth of the saw starting in the skin and beginning to tear the flesh. Friends, they would have felt every bit of that. That was some serious affliction. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. And they wandered about, they were destitute, they were afflicted, and they were tormented, and they wandered in deserts. That's how they lived, in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hey, guys, listen, I, I know it's been rough, but hold on. You haven't yet resisted unto blood. So in a sense, what is the writer saying? He's saying this, it's really not as intense as it could be. You're all excited about this, you're struggling with this, you're thinking about quitting, you're thinking about going back, you're thinking about returning to the old way of life because it'd make life so much easier. Now, now listen, I'm not trying to be, listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you, but you need to run this race with patience and you need to persevere and you need to fix your eyes on Jesus because in all of your striving for, uh, striving against sin and striving for right, you need to remember this, none of you have shed any blood yet over this. So it would be kind of like saying this, suck it up. Right? Come on. In today's vernacular, we may say something like this, come on, snowflake. I mean, what do you want, a safe zone for you to live your Christian life? 
I mean, do you want little certain areas where you're just going to be protected? and every, Listen, that, that's not how real Christians have lived in the past, the writer says. This hadn't cost you any bloodshed. So, so as you're dealing with your affliction and you're thinking about quitting and going back, let's just remember what other people have really suffered and really endured and really dealt with. And if you would just remember that, it might help your outlook and your focus on what you're dealing with. And you might realize, yeah, I might have exaggerated this just a little. And it's not as bad as I've made it to be in my mind. Now I want to ask you something this evening. How do you view yourself? So what do you mean? Here, here's what I mean. I view myself as the level-headed guy. I'm not the dramatic one, okay? In, in, in my family, I'm not the dramatic one. Now, I did have a dramatic moment about nine, ten days ago when Susie called me out on the carpet on it, and she said, oh, that wasn't very dramatic. And I was like, oh, shut up. It, it was serious, okay? No, this was serious. No, I, listen, more times than not, I'm not the dramatic one. I'm the boring one trying to remind certain people in our family, tone it down a little. That's who I am. Right, Leah? <laughs> right, Brother Mike? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love Brother Mike, and I mean that. I love Brother Mike. But uh, of our relationship, he's the dramatic one, and I'm the calm one, okay? Uh, I, I, in my mind, in my, in my little brain, I'm the calm one. I don't let things excite me too much. I don't let things get me too worked up. Except for certain things. And then it is amazing how big those issues can become in my mind. Can any of you identify with what I'm talking about? You would say, Brother Kyle, listen, I'm the calm one in the family. I'm the cool one in the family. I'm the one who just keeps the balance in the house because I've got a bunch of crazies in the house. I'm the one who at work, I'm the one who keeps everything going smooth because if everybody else acted like them or if I acted like them, it, it would be a mess. That's good and that's wonderful if that's how we would define ourselves. But here's what many of us know, that there are certain things that happen in our lives and we can allow those things to become major issues when, in fact, more times than not, they're not near as big as we have created them to be. I'll illustrate it. Over the last 16-plus years, have I been disappointed? Well, of course I have. I've been disappointed in people. I've been disappointed in situations. I've been hurt. There have been times that I would like to see things different. There are times, and there are times, even in the recent future, or recent future, now that makes sense, in the recent past. Right, I'm living by faith, okay? Some of you are going to irritate me in the future. I'm just sure of it. All right. Things in the recent past that, that if I could change them, I would. You know what I mean? I mean, just this morning, I told Susie, man, I would change it if I could. But there are just things that I can't change. I can't change people. I can't change situations. And I can't do it. Now, this morning, I coped and I handled things really well. 
in part because of one of the books that I read while on vacation. But I'm saying to you tonight, by way, again, of of illustration, there have been so many times in my life that a situation has occurred, something has happened, and truth be told, it was a small matter in the grand scheme of things. But I managed to make it a big thing. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is awful. I can see where this is headed. This is going to end in this. It's going to result in this. And this is terrible. This is just, oh, I I can see it. The writing is on the wall. And many times it turns into a pity party. Somehow I managed to make it about myself. And woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. This is where I need you to nod your head, yes or no. Have you ever been there? Somehow, whatever it is, you've made it about you. And so then what do we do? We begin living life in light of this, in light of this vision or in light of this perception that we are really struggling and suffering because of our faithfulness, because of our obedience, because of our perseverance. Oh. You ever been there? And I mean, we're all but just congratulating ourselves because we're just pressing on. I preached another sermon today, babe. I didn't want to, but God gave grace. He allowed me to preach another sermon. Babe, I wasn't excited about going to the office, but I got into the office and, and the Lord really made the Scripture come alive and, and I think I can preach one more. Seriously? Hey, Kyle, to this point, you've not yet resisted unto blood. You're not studying with fear of the government finding out and then possibly arresting you and hauling you off to never see your family again. I know, but you don't quite understand. No, I I do understand. You've not yet resisted unto blood. I have not yet one time worried over the course of my ministry if I said this or if I preached this, the effect that it was going to have on Susie by way of what are they going to do to her, what's going to happen to the kids. That's never been a a part of my thought process, but you would think that I was dealing with the same things that people were dealing with who were getting sawn asunder if you knew what was really going through my mind. Well, no, I'm not really getting stoned, but it feels like it. I bet the people who were really stoned would say, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Well, they're torturing me emotionally. I think the people who were really tortured would say, I'll take emotional torture over physical torture any day of the week. You see how relevant this is, at least for your pastor? I needed to be reminded as I was heading out of town and as I would soon be reading some books, I needed to be reminded that it's really not costing me a whole lot right now to just run this race with some patience and to just persevere even whenever I think it's agonizing. 
And if maybe you're struggling to connect the dots, let me just help you real quick. You're not either. Brother Kyle, you don't know what's going on. I, I know I don't know everything, but I know I've not like visited you in prison yet. And if I did, it would most likely be your fault, not because of your great stand for the faith. Yeah. Well, Brother Kyle, you, you just you don't understand my situation. I know, but I, I do know this. It hadn't cost you any blood yet. So you know what we've allowed ourselves to do so many times? We've allowed ourselves to get so worked up many times really over nothing. You call this nothing? I'm, I'm just saying in comparison to what other faithful Christians have dealt with, I would say if we're honest, we haven't really dealt with anything to this point. And we're getting a whole lot excited about a whole lot of nothing. And those of us who call ourselves the cool, calm, collected ones, we're letting drama kick in, and our mind is racing, and our emotions are run amok, and, and, and we're just out of control. And what we really need to be reminded of is this. Uh, it's not so bad yet. Now, when it starts costing us some blood, then you could say, okay, now it's getting hard. But right now, it, it's, we're not even in the difficult stage. And so this evening, there are just a couple of things I, I want us to think about, and then we'll be done. The first one is this, is can you see at some point in your past where you've gotten dramatic? Most of you have already admitted, yes, you can see where that's happened, and yeah, you've struggled with that, and yes, you, you failed in that area. Uh, it's happened. Okay, so here would be the follow-up question. Is it possible that maybe right now you're in that dramatic stage? You know, may, maybe you haven't let everyone know about it, but in your heart and mind, you've been telling yourself how rough it is, how hard it is, how difficult it is, and you've been convincing yourself how faithful you are and how strong you are. And Man, I'm doing really good because I've really endured. Hold on, we, we haven't endured much yet. And tonight, some of us may need to just be hit with that dose of reality that says, come on now, it's not that bad. We've actually got it pretty good still. We're still a pretty blessed, pretty fortunate group of people. And whatever it is I'm dealing with, whatever it is you're dealing with, it's probably not worth near the level of excitement and emotion we're giving it in our minds. And so tonight we just may need to be grounded and brought back to reality and just said, you know, said to our face, but in a very polite way, come on, get over it. Let's suck it up. Let's be big boys and let's be big girls. This really isn't that bad yet. Might it get bad in the future? Well, sure. But let's not get excited about that until it happens. As of right now, let's just be reminded it really hadn't cost us that much. And let's just stay faithful and do so with a better outlook and a better perspective on things. Who knows? It might make this week go a whole lot better when we realize it's not so bad. And it could be a whole lot worse. Let's all stand and bow our heads for prayer.